Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. Our next guest is a conference speaker. She's an MC and facilitator, and she's a speaker coach developing influential communicators. This is going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to this one, and I'd like to give a very warm welcome to Lynn Skinella. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jackie. Thanks so much for having me on. I love having you on here because I particularly like the title of your book, Bite Me. And uh, yeah. it's certainly got a lot of attention. And I don't know if you're on uh, Instagram or not, but yes. I posted uh, a photo. I had, I think I had eight books I was re- reviewing and yours was one of them. And if you put them all, the, the spines together, and it's all, it's a good test to see, okay, if you're at a bookshop, what book's going to stand out? And yeah. not only the name of your book, but the, the font and the, the design of it was fabulous. I loved it. Uh, so congratulations. Is this your first book? Yes, it is. Well, yeah, and you. was it a labour of love? Was it hard, easy? What, <laughs> how was the process? Um, I don't know about labour of love. Um, for me, writing is difficult. Mm. Uh, I wouldn't say it was easy. Uh, probably tougher, getting better at it, but suffer from the perfectionist problem. Mm. Um, but it was a natural progression from my business. I was trained, um, I was a, at the time I was doing a lot of training and facilitating and uh, the subject matter I was talking about really needed to have a book to support it. So it was kind of, it was, it had to, it had to be done. And I was really disciplined about it once I decided it had to be done because I'm not, writing doesn't come easily to me. I sort of allowed every morning four till six, I would at least get two hours done. And if the day allowed, then you'd get more done during the day. 4am. Yep. <laughs> Are you naturally a morning person? Um, not anymore. <laughs> Not after that. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I really like that sense. I think the message there is about the, the discipline. So yeah. four to six, obviously, it's a quiet time of the day, so it gave you and uh, time to, and some quiet time to do that. Was that five days or seven days a week did you do that? Uh, probably five, yeah. but, you know, some, sometimes seven. It was. I was certainly disciplined for five, but my job takes me away a lot, so... That wasn't, you know, I don't have a job where I'm sitting at my desk um, every day. Mm. So it was as disciplined as I could be to get it done in a certain time frame, which really was, you know, I started it, the process took from, you know, um, it took up to two years, but I went hard in the last six months when I realised that I was procrastinating too much. Right, okay. But again, back to that self-discipline. I mm. like the way that you sort of, it was those checks and measures on yourself, which, uh, which, is, a, which is a wonderful skill to have. Uh, now, speaking of skills and tools, mm. you use a profiling tool which led you to the book. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, my company is called Bright. So you've probably, um, your listeners would have heard of many different sort of personality profiling uh, tools that are out there. Uh, they've been around since Hippocrates' day for two and a half thousand years and lots, uh, there are lots of really sophisticated systems out there. I saw a need for something a bit more um, contemporary and, and a fresh take on it because we live in a really fast, we live in a really fast world and what I've found with different audiences is they need information that they can digest easily and they can remember it, they can take away, and they can use it. So out of out of that, uh, my company is called Write. So when I, I created a, a personality or a behavioural profiling tool, 
with uh, the four different types, which many of you, your listeners will have heard, but mine are apples, mangoes, limes and bananas. Yes. I, <laughs> I, loved, I loved the simplicity of – and I loved the simplicity. It was four it fruit. It was really great. So please continue. I'm, I love this. Well, you know, the, the thing is it's designed to be a tool that make uh, that creates it's, – it's for workplace. It's for uh, large and small businesses, anyone in the workplace, but also in the home, Jackie. So if you've got – um, if, if, for example, you're using a more complicated or sophisticated system, of which there are fantastic ones around, uh, they're really established and they're, they're great. Mine is to be used as a guideline. So if somebody says in the workplace, you're being a pain in the neck, I can't work with you anymore, that's quite inflammatory. If somebody has done the profiling and understands a little bit about different types of personalities and says, I need you to take your Apple hat on, off, sorry, I need you to take your apple hat off and bring out your inner banana, (laughs) then people laugh because it's so silly. And at first, I even struggled with it at first. I went, whoa, this is really silly. But um, because it's silly, it's had great success. Uh, people, People love it in the workplace. Yeah, it, it makes oh, it easy. Great. I love, I loved it really. I thought it was wonderful. Uh, and so, with with bite me that people read the book, they'll then get to understand what fruit they are. So in the book, uh, there is a profile. You do the profile, um, as I said, meant to be. It's meant to be fun and fast and uh, and easy. So you find out what your natural preference is for apple, lime, mango, or banana. And we normally work in our top two preferences. And then the book takes you through strengths and challenges of each particular fruit type, and how you can work more effectively with them. Because you know, my, my thing is, if you're working effectively with other people then you're going to have less stress, then you're going to get more done. Life's going to be easier. Yeah. So can, it's quite, to me, it's simple. Can you be a fruit salad? Absolutely, Jackie. And I suspect you might be a fruit salad. Um, because <laughs> Why do you say that? <laughs> well, because you're a successful businesswoman. And here's what happens. Most successful people are highly self-aware. And to me, it, that's at the core of everything. Do you see how I said core? I like, did. You know, I yeah, did. Very, I'm very funny, just naturally, you know. Yeah, it happens it's that way. wonderful. Um, but I think that for, for, for someone like you, when all successful people have a high awareness of self, of your own strengths and your flaws. And that's really what this book is about. Understand yourself and understand others. And that way you can then use your empathy to go, right, that person isn't go- sees the world through a different lens. There's no way that I can use the way I want to communicate with this person. So then you modify your behaviour. You get through to them better. And life, like I said, life is, is easier. Yeah, well, I, I did a little bit of it and I was sort of between apple and mango, which I suppose yeah. would be yeah, yeah, no surprises there. Uh, but and I was thinking about some other um, funny things. I'm, I'm sure you mentioned skin in the game a lot if you're a banana. Uh, but, <laughs> that's appealing. Yeah, there you go. Well, I suppose I'll go with mangoes. But anyway, <laughs> that's uh, I think that's that was from um, the 12th man, I think. Anyway, um, moving right. on. So do these prof- does this profile align with any of the traditional traditional ones like does it align with the disc profiling for instance yes so what i did when when we created this back in 2004 um we we drew on work from uh, all the experts in the field um from you know the disc and there's someone called uh, ned herman who has done an amazing amount of research catherine bentiger and of course all the way back to carl jung um because all of the behavioral profiling is based on similar 
on the, on the same sort of stuff. So we don't pretend to be anything uh, anything new. It's just a more of a contemporary take, more of a fun take. It's memorable. Like it certainly, it certainly is memorable. Mm. Now, Lynn, if people want to find out a bit more about your work, where's the best way they can get in touch with you? Uh, probably on just from my website, um, thanks, Jackie, which is um, Lynn Skinella. Which I'm, I'm assuming that you might put up notes after the yes, podcast. Yes, I will. So, yes, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So just on my website, lynnskinella.com.au, and um, you can get information there on the book, on my speaking or training or my online programs. It's all there for you. Yeah, we'll, we'll put a link uh, after this interview to Thank our you. Facebook page and things. And your business is RIPE, R-I-P-E. Uh, I love all the fruit analogies. Now, I have to ask, and it's probably might be a bit early, um, it <laughs> mightn't be ripe enough for, for you, um, still a bit green from the process, but have you got another book in you? <laughs> yes, look, um, unfortunately, I can't say no to a challenge, and even when I'm just challenging myself, say so yes. Um, I'm working at the moment on a book on putting fruit in relationships, because this one is about essentially fruit in the workplace, mm. um, with all ways of dealing with workplace, but every time I speak at a conference, everyone comes up to me to talk to me about the husbands and wives, so um, I need to be really clear, I'm not a relationship counsellor, so I'm going to develop this uh, book with the help of uh, some counsellors and psychologists, but mainly I'm just going to gather information from the people that I meet. So we have some real-life scenarios, like the, the, the stuff that goes down at home and why we don't get on and how we can make it easier. Well, that's right. We're, we're still dealing with human beings, whether they're in the workplace, mm. whether they're at home. So any any insights or clues that we can get to help improve relationships, improve communication, most importantly, mm. and, and how we go about it. And I think these tools is about simplicity and attractiveness and having fun. If it's fun, yep. then we're more likely to learn. Could not agree more. I love it. Thank you, Lynn Scanella. Thank you so much for your valuable time today. I wish you continued success uh, with your, I don't know how to, uh, it's not really, it's a fruit <laughs> salad, a bowl of fruit, uh, I don't know, stay fruity and uh, really look forward to um, seeing what you do next. I appreciate your valuable time. Thanks so much for having me, Jackie. It's been a pleasure. Uh, it's been good fun, always good fun here on Taking Care of Business. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. Our next guest is a leadership development expert. She is a behavioural profiler and director of Time to Talk Leadership. Welcome to the program, Sharon Neal. Uh, thanks, Jackie. Lovely to be speaking to you. Very excited to um, be talking to you about disc and profiling today. Yes, I always love conversations with you, uh, particularly from my perspective, I have a keen interest in behavioural marketing and neuromarketing and behavioural science and consumer behaviour. And this, uh, it certainly involves part of that. So let's get stuck straight into DISC profiling. Now, D-I-S-C, and what do each of those letters stand for? Well, that, that comes up with four profiles, I guess, four different preferences for how we behave and communicate with others. So it's, the D is for a more dominant, direct character that really knows what they want, tells it how it is, really a straight shooter. I is for an influencer who's more about people and relationships. The S is more for the steady profile who likes things to run smoothly, likes all their ducks in a row. And the conscientious is the analytical, the um, likes to get things right, bit of a perfectionist preference and they're all valuable 
um, but they do have differences, which can throw up some interesting scenarios. So why does it work so well? What's its secret power? Well, look, we, we use a number of tools at Time to Talk, and this is, is really probably our preferred tool. It's simple, and in today's workplace, everyone's got so much in their heads. You know that, Jackie, from yeah. all your neuroscience experience. We've got so many messages. We need something that's very simple that we can easily relate to um, and we can practically use it back at work. And that's where we see great results with this tool because it is simple and it gets traction at every single level. So we we love it. Um, Our clients love it. Not just for at work, though, but it's great for at home, for your teenagers, for your mother-in-law pesky neighbour if you're having problems with them so it works across all facets of your life Yes, so how does it differ from other, uh, I suppose, popular profiling tools like the Myers-Briggs for instance? Yeah, look, Myers-Briggs is a great tool and we use that quite a bit as well in some of our leadership workshops Um, and it takes a little bit longer to get into a bit more depth with Myers-Briggs and you are trying to remember a lot of different combinations so we just find the simplicity of disk and just the, the self-awareness piece, so being a bit more aware of yourself, but also being aware of others' preferences and what the gaps may bring about in terms of frustration and also value. Right, yeah. So with the DISC profiling, where have you seen it well used? Uh, look, anything from, from service people understanding their customers and not taking direct messages too harshly, right through to leaders um, at the executive level, understanding their executive teams and what their preferences are and how they're best motivated and where their development gaps might be, Um, and using it a lot across organisations cross-functionally to understand different functions and groups within the organisation and bringing them closer together and also project teams, you know, playing to people's strengths in a project team and making sure that we are allocating tasks or jobs or communications to that person's preference. Can you give me an example of how it works, either professionally or personally? Oh, yeah, look, I could give you... I could talk <laughs> a lot about posts, Jackie. I've got lots of stories. Um, there's light bulbs with this all the time and we see it in our programs. But, look, we had a lady... I was recently doing some leadership coaching and um, the lady I was coaching was a very strong dominant, very, you know, just tells it how it is. And she said to one of the um, team members that she was not doing a good job and, and just told her directly she needed to fix it. But the other lady got quite emotional and ran out sort of very upset because she, whilst it wasn't personal from the dominant character, the other person took it personally. Mm. So there's a big gap between intent and impact. Sometimes we don't intend our messages to come across a certain way. But if someone hears something different, the impact can be quite different for them. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great example. Now, there's so much to talk about with DISC, and it's, as you said, I love it that it can be used professionally but also at home, yeah. <laughs> as you said, your pesky teenagers. But, it's look, it certainly helps just identifying, I suppose, your own preferences and the focus being on preferences. It doesn't mean you, you are solely a D, a dominant. It means that you can have no. other areas, can't you? Absolutely. It's quite a, it's degrees of preference, and we have quite a spread. And we also have the capacity to dial up and dial down when we need to, which is the beauty of understanding ourselves a little bit more and understanding others. I might need to adapt my messages a little bit. I have three of those teenagers, and they're actually not pesky, Jackie, but they are three <laughs> different preferences, and it's helped me enormously. Um, I'm polar opposites to one of my teenagers, and she's very analytical and conscientious, and I'm not. So it's really helped us bridge the gap and me to understand her better and us to have 
a better relationship, which is important for all of us. So it's really about how do we improve our relationship. Now, I've heard you speak many times and I love it every time. I learn something new from you because you don't, like a lot of other speakers, just go from script and it's the same thing over and over again. There's always new insights, always new areas of fascination. Sharon Neal, and you are speaking at the Byte Conference, uh, which is coming up shortly. Now, tell us what are you going to be talking about there without giving too much away? Well, look, it is going to be, as you said, right at the beginning, it's about behavioural profiling and it's almost, I know you talk about being a professional eavesdropper, Jackie, it's almost (laughs) like extending that, not just what we hear, but what we observe of others and how can we actually use that information to build better connections, better relationships, get our messages across to others. So it's quite a powerful tool. So it's almost like... uh, Thinking of criminal minds or SVU and becoming your best behavioural profiler there, but being aware of what's going on around you. So we're going to actually um, give people some insight into the profiles and how they can use them and how they can start recognising that and some really practical tools to walk away with. And that's what I love about this tool. Um, in a short time or even a longer session, you get a real opportunity to give people something that they can use that will make them better in, in themselves but in their relationships with others. Yeah, and particularly for entrepreneurs and small business owners who may not have had exposure to this tool, uh, certainly it's very popular amongst larger corporates who do have the resources and, and know of its effectiveness. But quite often, small business owners and entrepreneurs don't have access to this sort of tool. So coming along and listening to you and getting some inside tips as to the power, the secret power of DISC will certainly put them in good stead, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And from a small business perspective, getting your message out there, it's such a crowded marketplace, but how do we connect better with people? And even even something as simple as an email, how can we craft that in a way that will be better received by our clients or customers? I love the way you craft those words, Sharon Neal. I look forward <laughs> to seeing you at Bite. And uh, thank you again, as always, for your valuable time and your fascinating insights. No problem. Looking forward to it. And thank you for your enthusiasm about DISC and and your time today, Jackie. Always a pleasure. You're listening to the best brains in the business here at Taking Care of Business. We'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. Our next guest is a global thought leader on authentic leadership and storytelling and real communication. I like it. She works with high-profile leaders from around the globe, helping them become better leaders and communicators using the art of storytelling. She is a best-selling author of Ignite, Real Leadership, Real Talk, Real Results. We've got her in real lifetime, the real person here, Gabrielle Dolan. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be part of it. Lots of reels in there. Lots of reels. In, and, that, and that's a real thing at the moment, isn't it? Uh, that authenticity. Everyone's Absolutely. craving it. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about um, authentic leadership, um, talking in a way that's more real and genuine, you know, people being leaders, being approachable and human. So it's, it's a real thing at the moment. Yeah, I think uh, we're just wanting people to be truthful and I think as consumers particularly we're really struggling with trying to make our way through the quagmire of BS I think. What what are your thoughts? There actually is, there's a lot of research done that we are actually in a a decline of trust so there is Mm. nations where like you said there just seems to be a lot of BS going on. Mm. The whole concept of alternative facts and fake news, I mean we didn't even speak about that two years ago. So this this whole thing of 
we actually don't know who to trust and what to trust. So we're we're in an we're in an environment of natural distrust. And so whatever business you're in, you've got to be realised that that's the environment you're actually operating in. And people are just craving and looking and wanting to you know hear people talk and actually believe in them and trust them. And, and you, you've got to do that by being authentic and being real, not marketing spin. Yeah, it's an interesting point that you make. Do you think we've become used to distrust? Yeah, I think we have become used to distrust. Mm. I think, um, I mean, you even if you look at, uh, well, if you look at the political environment around the world, the mm. likes of Trump, and you know, just even in our own, you know, campaign, our our federal election campaign, we sort of know that half the things they're saying are lies and aren't true, but we just. We sort of do this thing, well, they're politicians, so of course they're going to say that. Or, you know, they're running a business and they're saying it. It's almost we just expect people to be lying. But it's, um, you know, I think businesses have to realise that people are seeing that as lying and it really affects trust. And, you know, trust is critical when it comes to business. Yeah, so where is leadership heading based on that? Look, I think a lot of the really smart leaders are realising that this lack of trust is an issue mm. and for them to start to rebuild trust there, you know, they, I mean, we do talk about authentic leadership, but like, what does that mean? So I think what they're realising is that they have to be prepared to admit where they've gone wrong and genuinely admit that with genuine apologies, not like um, what I refer to as the plastic apology, you know, when people go, if anyone was offended, I'm sorry they were offended, <laughs> as opposed to saying, I'm sorry I offended you. Mm. Um, so there's this, there's this, you know, they've, they've got to admit uh, what they've gone wrong in the past, but they've also got to talk in a way that people understand. And, you know, um, I, I talk about, like, the consequences of using jargon and acronyms, which seem to be the default way of language that we talk... When we talk this way in business, we actually disconnect and isolate people and actually add to the distrust. So I think... Um, Leaders are realising they've got to speak in a way that's really genuine and that people engage and connect with and not, not jargon and acronyms, which we don't. Yeah, look, that jargon and acronym, and uh, I totally agree with you. And I know when I am speaking in a meeting or anything, and it's one of my um, introduction points that I say, look, if I, if I do speak any jargon, please pull me up and ask me because I'm not doing it intentionally. But sometimes it's so habitual that you just say it and absolutely without fail, someone will say to me, Jackie, what does SME stand for? Or what does that stand for? Or what? And I'm so sorry, you're right. But it's yeah. giving them permission because most people are not comfortable or think they're being rude if they're asking you that or they f- might feel a bit stupid if they don't know because you're assuming knowledge. So yeah. uh, it's, it's, a, it's an enormous trap to fall into. Now, in your latest book called Real Communication, How to Be You and Lead True, which I love the title of it, you talk about this broken trust and trust is always an area that I'm really fascinated about and you talk about how it how it can be hard to rebuild because once you lose trust and it's broken, it's really hard to rebuild. Is it impossible to rebuild or can you rebuild it? Look, I don't think it's impossible. Well, maybe in some instances it's impossible. I mean, we even know this, you know, in our personal relationship. If someone has deliberately betrayed our trust, it's either impossible to rebuild or it takes a long time. But what we do know, it takes a long time to rebuild trust. 
So um, again, when it when it comes to business, it's it's critical that you, first of all you you don't break that trust mm. because it takes a long time to do it. And we've I mean we've seen we've seen this in the royal commissions and with the banking industry that you know the banking industry have got a lot of work ahead of them to rebuild rebuild the trust that you know they had a generation ago and they've um they've destroyed it yeah okay so now this is your second book gabrielle is that right this is actually my fifth book oh your fifth book apologies i did apologies i (laughs) I only had one down here so um uh your fifth book wow that's that's incredible you're a machine what's your trick with writing books oh (laughs) this is a good trick i don't i don't know you just write you just write but um, I do. I, I um, it's not bad for someone. I actually failed my final year of English by one percent. So my English teacher would be as surprised as you are that I've actually written five <laughs> books. But um, I, I think it's um, you know, develop your thinking, put time aside to write, get really good editors around you that, that help you develop your ideas. Um, but if you got something of value and um, you're passionate about it, which I was with Real Communication, because I'm really passionate about helping the business leaders change from this default language of jargon and acronyms that, you know, disconnect and disengage to actually speaking in a way that's that's real, that people get. Yeah, well, uh, I must uh, just go back earlier. I wasn't so much surprised as more impressed that you've written five books because (laughs) it's really tough and I don't think people talk enough about how hard it is to write a book, let alone five. So congratulations on that. But this latest book, you actually use some case studies, which I think's really useful for people to try and understand through examples, you know, how does that relate to me or how would that work? Could you quickly describe, say, one case study that you've got in the book? Uh, well, maybe one of the case studies I talk about is actually the um, the Australian cricket team with the ball tampering scandal. Mm. And, like, if you want an example of how trust, when you when you lose trust, how, how um, not only how costly it can be so I do talk about you know at a, at a you know Cricket Australia level the sponsorships they lost but also at a personal level that um, Smith and Warner lost and how hard it is to rebuild it I mean for the first time now with the World Cup going on you've seen them booed constantly for everything they do and, and I I just think that'll last their entire career so mm. you know I, I talk about stuff like that I, I have spoken to a lot of people around the globe and just Got, got some ideas about, you know, well, how do they lead more authentically and how do they communicate in a way that's real. Um, one, of, one of the case studies I love, I, I spoke to a woman who changed industries and she went to a new job and she got this 10-page document and the last page was all the acronyms that they'd used in the document and she found it really hard to read. So she actually got her team to rewrite the document not using acronyms, but using all all the full words, mm. which means they didn't need that back page, and the document was ten pages. So it's like we're not saving any time or saving any space using acronyms. We're actually just making it, when we don't use them, we're actually making it easier for the um the listener or the you know the the reader to understand. Yeah, well, it's difficult for our brain to process an acronym unless you've got an existing memory of what that acronym is, like an well, IBM, Absolutely, so, and so you're putting all the onus onto the listener to do the interpretation yes. and you're also making an assumption that their definition of the acronym is the same as yours. And we talked about um, small to medium enterprise before, so SME, mm. but SME, you know, 50% of the people will be thinking subject matter expert and you can have a whole conversation about SMEs 
be talking about completely different things. Yes, I remember um, someone using PLU once, which meant people like us, and someone thought that that stood for price lookup, which apparently is something they use in retail. So this exactly, it is, it, and I love your point about it's putting so much more pressure on the receiver of the communication. So as a sender, we need to be a lot more aware of how communication is being received and less focused on what we're doing in the delivery of it, if that sort of makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as, yeah. as as the communicator, mm. it's your job. It's your job to help them get the message. It's actually not their job to get it. So, using this default language of jargon that we don't use, and using acronyms. I you research for the book. I found out that acronyms came into existence during the World War to actually make it harder for the enemy to understand what was being said. I mean, the word acronym only came in existence in 1943. So. We're using a default language in business that was invented to make it harder to understand the message, which just seems ridiculous, really. Yeah, so acronym is uh, another word for code. So we're making yes. it much more difficult. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Gabrielle, why would we do that? Yeah, why well, would we do that? It's ridiculous. I, look, I just think it's there's just a lack of awareness. Where, again, it's become a habit and it's about actually going, and let's bring this back to our conscious awareness and saying, okay, this is actually not great for communication. I love real communication, how to be you and lead true. Gabrielle Dolan, if anyone listening wants to find out more about you, your website is gabrielledolan.com. You're on Twitter, you're on LinkedIn and your book, can you can get anywhere books are sold, I'm assuming? Yeah, any online or in bookstores, any anywhere it is. Wonderful. Well, I wish you continued success and uh, thank you very much for your precious time today. Thank you. Good to be part of it. Great. Thank you. You're listening to Taking Care of Business. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. Our next guest says that leaders who coach can double their engagement score. She's an author, a registered psychologist, holds an MBA and a PhD in leadership. The perfect combo today to talk about to talk about leadership and find out more with leadership specialist, I'd like to welcome Dr. Karen Morley. Thank you very much, Becky. Good to have you here. Now, Karen, every leader or business owner wants to lighten their load or reduce pressure on themselves. What are some of the techniques or tips that they could go about starting to think about how to reduce that pressure? Mm-hmm. I think one of the most important things is to be able to uh, be mindful and keep focused on what it is that you really want to achieve in your role and in your organisation. So I think part of the problem for leaders is that they do get caught up very much um, in the 24-7 routine and the need to get everything done and a lot of people are working across multiple time zones. And so in a sense, a lot of leaders just go with that flow. I think that the smarter leaders and the leaders who are more in control of that sort of workload are the ones who can mindfully stop and pay attention um, and keep, you know, one eye on what needs to be done now and what's important, but another one on the future and the kind of organisation they want to be in and the kind of leader that they want to be. So what advice would you give uh, someone who is working on 
by themselves, like they're, they're, I suppose they're their own leader. Uh, they don't have yeah. a team they're managing, but they're still feeling the, uh, the, the pressure. They're still feeling the, the heavy workload. What are some, what's some advice that we could give solopreneurs or, or micro business owners of how they could manage themselves better? Yes, and this, this will be advice I can give myself as well. Oh, good. Um, I think, I think it, it's similar to being mindfully aware of what it is you want to achieve in the longer term. And I think, um, and I know from my own experience, that you, when you're working on your own, sometimes it's harder to do that. Um, so for me, a, a part of the way that I do that is to be a part of a broader community of people who are like me. Um, and that keeps reminding me of why I want to run my practice and how I want to run it and what I want to achieve. So I think that's one of the things. Um, And I find also setting up a a 90-day rhythm uh, around this is what I'm going to focus on for the next 90 days, these three or four things are what's most important, and then setting up a kind of a rhythm on a daily basis where you're, you're working through your list, you're working through the tasks and the projects, and keeping focused on that. So um, as time seems to pass very quickly, you're still making sure that you achieve the things that you want to do, because I think without that kind of accountability, it can be very hard. It can be very easy to just respond to what's coming up rather than to respond to what's perhaps longer term um, or more about the, you know, the practice or the business that you want to, to own and be. It's an interesting term, rhythm. Why did you use that and not routine? Ah, that's interesting. Maybe I'm a, a bit more kinesthetically focused. Um, but I do see it as more of a rhythm um, and something that occurs over something like a 90-day cycle makes sense. I think a routine, I guess a routine sounds a bit boring to me. And you know what, actually quite so boring and disciplined things that yeah. you must do to be successful, whether you're working on your own or you're working in a larger organisation. And so having a rhythm that's about starting up over 90 days, looking at what you're achieving, and then at the end of that, you're reviewing that. Um, you're making note of, you know, what was hard, what was easy, what worked, um, and what, what you've actually achieved. So you're also noticing your progress. I think with a routine, it's more about these are the things I've got to do and keep doing. Mm, so yes. I think that there is that notion of a, a cycle which brings you to more of completion rather than something that's going on forever. Yeah, look, I, I, I just I, it got my attention and I thought it actually is probably more accurate because it makes me, when I'm looking at the word rhythm, going with flow. So it's like the ebbs and flow. So the, the routine mm-hmm. sounds very sort of task-focused, I suppose, where, mm-hmm. where the rhythm sort of gives you, you know, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a good rhythm or I'm in a bad bit or I'm, bit, bit, um, I'm feeling a bit tired or I'm feeling really good. So you can actually work with that rhythm a little bit more. And why 90 days, Karen? I think that's long enough to get some things Started. If you want to take a fresher approach or you've got a new target market um, product that you want to work with, um, and by the, the end of 90 days, if you've spent your time putting in some effort and had a go, experimented, you've had enough time to see whether that works or not, so whether or not you'll invest in that for the next 90 days. Okay. Um, I think probably I think people who are working in different kinds of industries, there might be different seasonal patterns that it makes sense to perhaps 
pick um, a different amount of time to feed into that sort of rhythm. But I think 90 days, um, yeah, yeah it, it's enough time to try things and see whether or not they work. Yeah, no, it's, it's a really, really fascinating concept. Now, I just want to have a quick chat about this book that you've, your latest book, because uh, mm-hmm. you've written, is it, is, it, is it your second book? Yes, it is. It is, yeah, great. We'll talk. Uh, your first book was about gender balanced leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm just, again, a little bit curious there. How do men and women differ from a leadership perspective? I think there are stereotypes that, you know, prescribe the ways that men and women can be and boys and girls can be. Um, And that means that they're the sorts of uh, patterns that we develop and what we're rewarded for. Um, And I think those patterns show up in uh, the kinds of roles we're interested in um, and um, the sort of careers we seek. I mean, my view, just to, to summarise it, is that I would like to take you know, the gender constraints away from leadership um, and really open up, you know, the full range of behaviours to all leaders so that, you know, men can be caring coaching leaders um, and women might sometimes be more directive strategic leaders. Um, but, but we're not so constrained by the conventions um, of gender. There are a lot of discussions about women having particular characteristics that they bring to leadership, which are really positive, things like being kind of caring and having more of a coaching approach and perhaps being better at managing team dynamics um, and men are bad, better at strategy and the bigger picture and perhaps some of the financial things. Um, but I think if we, if we open all of those options up to men and women, then that gives people more opportunities to find their own fit uh, in a more open way. And it also gives organisations more opportunities to fill different kinds of roles. And then rather than leadership being kind of one thing or the other, it's actually broader um, and it's more encompassing. That is and that means very refreshing. leaders can be more flexible to fit what's actually needed right now. What does the organisation need right now? Do we need to drive and control um, and bring some things home? Or is now the time when we need to think about growth um, and think about development and a lot more creativity and experimentation? Yeah, I, I think a focus on human nature uh, mm. because I think the gender does get very distracting uh, yeah. as to the potential. And look, at the end of the day, it's about, you've, you know, are you a natural leader? Do you have leadership capabilities? Do you have leadership skills? And uh, and we're not great at everything. We can't do everything because we're human. Mm-hmm. So mm, fo- focus right. on your strengths and then get a team around you to help support those areas that you're not so great at. So that's very refreshing. Now, that was your gender balance leadership. I just had to ask that's that. Right. I was curious. That's a great conversation. It's a whole other interview. But let's one. let's get on to this <laughs> current book. That's a big one. It sure is. Uh, let's get on to this current book, Lead Like a Coach. I loved the title of it, uh, How to Get the Most Out of Any Team. So this Lead Like a Coach, I like this Pay the Coaching Approach Forward concept. Can you tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit about that? Yeah, I think that one of the things um, about coaching is that it is fundamentally about development. Um, But it's also about getting work done. It's a particular style that's more supportive and can also be challenging. Um, So I think that in terms of paying it forward, 
when leaders are working with their team members and they're coaching them, they're not necessarily just focusing on what's here and now, what has to be done today or what has to be done tomorrow. The conversations they have are also about what needs to happen next year and and the year after so that if there are enough leaders in the organisation who take that sort of approach, they're focusing both on now and the future, um, there is that opportunity to develop a culture where more people are thinking like that. Yeah, right. I think that's a, that's a really, really good good part. Now, your background as a, as a psychologist, what techniques do you use from your psychology background uh, when you're talking about leaders? And what can leaders do to improve themselves as leaders? What, what are some tips and techniques that they could easily adopt? Yeah, I think some really practical things that leaders can do. One, just structure some coaching into the daily routine. I mean, there's quite a bit of research that shows that leaders have a lot of the skills that they need to have to be coaches, but they're not necessarily confident about using it, or they wait or think that there needs to be, you know, a big coaching conversation. Um, And if instead of seeing it like that, they see it as something that can be done um, every day and make it a routine, you might spend a few minutes thinking about somebody that you want to have a coaching conversation with, go and have that right now. It might be that you're walking from one meeting to the next and you're with somebody and instead of answering the question that they put to you, you might ask a question back, you know, have you, or how might you think of that? What are some alternatives to how we might go about that? So that's coaching. It doesn't have to be big. Um, And in fact, the research that comes out of psychology shows that by breaking behaviour into very small component parts of micro behaviours, things that are quite easy to do, they're much easier to become uh, or to turn into new habits. Uh, So uh, structure something, make it small, do it often, um, and again, probably in, the, in your 90 days, you'll see that there's a difference that's being made. Um, yeah. So I think that's one of the core things um, that leaders need to do. And I, I think, think I've hinted at another, which is to ask questions rather than answering them. Um, I think a, a lot of leaders feel the pressure of needing to have the answers um, and also in the fast pace of work, it's quicker to answer. So sort of biting your tongue from time to time and instead of answering, even if you do know the answer, asking the question so that the other person has the opportunity you know, to, to stretch their minds and to think differently about what they're going to do. Yeah, I think um, that's wonderful advice, Karen, about... Or, you know, that mirroring technique of uh, someone asks you a question rather than feeling that pressure to give them an answer. Ask Mm. them a question back. Get them to think a little bit deeper about it uh, because sometimes we can take shortcuts. uh, Mm. And and I think that's a really easily adopted tip that uh, most leaders can use. Uh, Now, your book, just to remind our listeners, we are talking to Dr. Karen Morley. She has written another great book called Lead Like a Coach, How to Get the Most Out of Any Team, and it's available at all good bookshops. And if anyone would like to know a bit more about Karen, you can find her on Twitter. And, of course, you can find her on LinkedIn, and her website is Karen Morley com.au and we'll put a link to our Facebook page as well. Karen, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much, Jackie. Thank I've enjoyed you. it.
That's the end of another stimulating show. We hope you've enjoyed eavesdropping on our conversation, picked up some tips, learned something new, or at the very least feel inspired. If you just joined us, you missed a lot, the podcast will be on the website, artablepfm.com.au, and you can connect with me to continue the conversation, Jackie Mitchell, on social media or at brandstorm.com.au. Thank you today to our worldly and thought-provoking guests. We look forward to your company next Friday at 11am. In the meantime, keep taking care of your business.